What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Are you guys ready to improve some more sports? Maybe. Sure. Okay, if I was waiting for Ben to respond, it, I was... <laughs> Maybe threw me for a loop a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's be because we're not improving real sports. We're doing fake sports. We're going to improve fictional sports. Yes, fantasy sports, sports that don't actually exist in the real world for one reason or the other. It's something we like to do on the show a bunch of times. We've done, we've improved lots of real world sports, but I'm excited to get into these. And as promised in our episode preview, I'm going to start with our first fictional sport that I will improve, which is Quidditch from the Harry Potter universe. Which does, I mean, there is a real version of this, right? Yes, there is a there is online rules for a real life version of Quidditch that you play. Like I think it's with a football and you run around. I like and depending on your setups, like I've seen it played with like made hoops. I've seen it played like lawn chairs, a whole bunch of different things. Of you're basically playing rugby but pretending it's Harry Potter related. I remember back when we were in college, there were teams that would play it over in the Boston Common, and I would see it when I was walking by there sometimes. Yeah, it's very much like a college sport yeah. where, like, it's just that age group is, is playing it. That that college age group that we're no longer part of. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't been for a long time. Yeah. I know, it's scary. Still feels like it, though. My age starts with a three. Who am I? <laughs> but Quidditch. So, for those of you who are not familiar with the Harry Potter game, or just want a quick reminder, basically, this game is played... Above the ground, where a bunch, two teams are flying on broomsticks, and there's two main goals. One of them is scoring goals. There's three hoops suspended in the air that if you throw the ball, or specifically the quaffle, through the hoop, you score 10 points. And then there is the golden snitch, which is the most, you know, exciting aspect of the game. There's a tiny little ball that has wings that flits around very fast, very hard to catch. And if you catch that snitch, then it is worth 150 points, and the game ends, generally with your victory. So each team is composed of seven people. There are three chasers, two beaters, a keeper, and a seeker. The keeper is just the goalie. He, you know, he blocks the quaffle from going in the hoops. The chasers are basically the regular players. They're the ones that are trying to score, primarily. There's two beaters who hit away bludgers. So in addition to the quaffle... That's the main ball and the golden snitch, which is like the bonus points ball. There's also two bludgers, which are effectively enchanted cannonballs that just try to bump into players. And the beaters, their job is to hit away the bludgers with bats. Um, and they fly around kind of protecting their team from getting, honestly, significantly injured. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty dangerous sport. And then the last player is the seeker who's typically, like, the best player on the team, his, he's the only person allowed to catch the golden snitch. So he's his whole job is to go around and try and catch the, the thing that's the bonus points. So, to me, I'm going to start with my biggest hang-up about this, which is the scoring system. The, the goals are worth 10 points. If you score on the other team, you get 10 points going through the hoop. If you catch the golden snitch, 
the game immediately ends, and the Golden Snitch is worth 150 points, which means unless you have a 15-goal lead, whoever catches the Snitch wins the game, which really just goes doesn't make the game work at all, because it's just whoever catches the Snitch wins, and the rest of the things that they're doing doesn't matter. Yeah, could you, like, end the game in just, like, two minutes? You could. That's the whole thing. Like, you could end the game in two minutes, or it goes the other way if nobody can catch the freaking Snitch. Oh, so it keeps on going until you catch the snitch? Yeah. From the book, um, according to, I think it was Victor Crumb talking to Harry Potter, the longest Quidditch game lasted over three months. That's not okay. That's not good game. It's not a good game. It's the longest baseball game. <laughs> not three months. <laughs> I think it's like 20-something innings. It, it, it was played over a couple days. There have been cricket matches that gone multiple day or like over a day i think but i think that's the closest they can get to and it's nowhere near months yeah they're like people had and, and then it's not like it, it got you know postponed to the next day and they played again it was like oh the player they had to get new players to work in shifts so other players could sleep but i'll say this you know i think it's a problem what is what does jk rowling think because jk rowling herself replied to a tweet that was just the scoring system of quidditch makes no sense from jk rowling's twitter it makes total sense there's glamour in chasing an elusive lucky break, but teamwork and persistence can still win the day. Everyone's vulnerable to blows of fate and obstructive people, and success, and success means rising above them. Quidditch is the human condition. You're welcome. <laughs> A lot of things she says are questionable. <laughs> you say teamwork and persistence can still win the game. That's not really true. 150 points is a 15-goal lead. It's not if you score 15 goals, you win, or if you catch the golden snitch, you win. It's if you are leading by over 150 points and then the other team decides to catch the snitch anyway then it matters otherwise it doesn't matter <laughs> so if the other team is 15 goals ahead then and you're the losing team then it makes sense for you not to catch the snitch right exactly and i, I won't get into there's also like I, I actually removed it from my notes because it just gets into too many complications the score the, the league scoring system in quidditch also includes how many points you get points based on how many points you win by as well as if you win or lose which also adds incentives not to catch the snitch at certain times where if both teams need a big win they might just both refuse to catch the snitch until they're ahead by 20 goals like you could have a position where you know you have two third place teams fighting over the league and they both need to win by like 300 points to qualify and they both know that so they would just play forever until they have an astronomical lead which may never happen so that's a whole nother problem so luckily to kind of help to see how this sport got developed and like where the, where this this whole golden snitch thing coming in and messing with this game is coming from there is a book that was released real life book quidditch through the ages which is theoretically it's an in fiction book that was released like you know it's fully written up and released in the world uh, i think it's part of a charity thing quidditch through the ages i will note that the book's market price was 14 sickles and 3 nuts yeah <laughs> uh, k-n-u-t-s nuts ben get your head out of the gutter too late <laughs> so here's where the golden snitch came from the history of the golden snitch because the golden snitch was not always this little gold mechanical ball with wings back in the day it was a snidget which was a small spherical actual m magic bird you know actual bird and that it was a living ma magic creature that was just like a little spherical bird that looks like the snitch if it was a you know a real animal and the chief of the Wizards Council, Barbarous Bragg, just was watching a game, or he was, you know, he was attending a Quidditch game, and he just decided to start to release a snidget in the middle of the game. 
with a promise of 150 galleons, i.e. like real cash money, to whoever could catch it during the course of the game. What ended up happening at that game was a woman in the audience was like, oh my god, animal cruelty, saved the snidget, uh, and ran away with it. But the end result was was that it still caught on, and then every game going forward had a live snidget in it that was, you know, people were trying to catch during the game. And by caught, it also explicitly means kill. And the only reason they went and evolved and created the mechanical one was they started to deplete the local snidget population to extinction. So that's a fun fact. Bird murder is the reason there's a golden snitch. And the only reason it's still part of that game, even in their own in their own history, is that it just was too popular and they couldn't, you know, get rid of it. So that's kind of that. I don't... It's two games combined that don't work together. Because now, like I said, there's there's three quarters of the balls and six-sevenths of the teams are based... Like, six out of seven of the team members are basically an elaborate sideshow. Nothing besides the one dude catching the snitch matters. But even more so, though, even more so than just function like from a game design perspective not being particularly good the sport's also kind of boring considering it's the top sport specifically for freaking wizards like who really cares about athletics like your athletes are able to move around a bit better when they could also like shoot fireballs or explode things at will like get some excitement going in these things like everyone is no one's excited to see people walking broomsticks in the wizarding world sure for us muggles yeah hot shit oh my god flying around that's cool but it's like the scooter of the wizarding world. How many sports do we have that are played on scooters? None. We should have more. Like one scooter sport, maybe. I, I do love the idea that the equipment, aside from the flying broomstick, which is admittedly reasonably cool, is just like a goddamn bat. It's just like a bat. <laughs> oh, no. It's a, it's, it, I'll say this. It is a fancy bat, and that's enchanted. And there's a whole back and forth of they had to keep making the cannonballs more, the, the bludgers more and more dangerous because the bats kept getting more and more magically reinforced. So, you know, the the metal um, balls were no longer hard enough. So they had to like go from like lead to iron to make them stronger so that they wouldn't like get beat up too much because they would lose their aerodynamicness. So they decided to just keep upping the danger level on uh, on that. Okay, that's actually pretty hilarious. It's also kind of hilarious where like the explained reason where why you'd want to be a seeker or not is the seeker is like where the best player goes and is the most popular and the most important. But he's at the but because of that, he's the at the most risk of getting killed. That's the trade-off. It's it's you have to choose if the if you care about the game enough to want to get murdered while playing it <laughs> if you want to be a seeker. So, without further ado, here's my proposal. First off, get rid of all the goal scoring nonsense. If the game's gonna be about catching the snitch, and apparently we can't make it not about catching the snitch, let's make it about actually catching the snitch. Second, if it's about catching this, we're gonna add more snitches, because games could end too quickly, like Chris, you were saying. It could end in two minutes if there's just one thing to do. So I'm adding I'm adding two more. And catching snitch is going to be just two out of three. Now we got some room to add some wizarding back in. Again, brooms. Kind of boring. We got to do some cool wizard stuff. That's going to be cool even for the wizards. So what I want to see is I want to see some transmogrification. So the hoops will no longer be goalposts. The hoops will still be there. But when you go through the goalpost, it'll transform you into a random animal or mythical creature. So now... Each game already is going to be different, and you go through, and boom, you're now a hippogriff. And with that, now we got some place to play. So each of these hoops now is going to get you, there's going to be like, there's three hoops, there's basically three size categories of creatures that you can go to, and that there's going to be three golden snitches corresponding to those sizes. You're going to have kind of three sub play fields. One's going to be real small, where like, you go in, and you're like a frog, or like a mouse, or something. Then you have, like, the mid-sized animals, like wolves and eagles and things. And then you got the big hoop that's going to be, like, 
dragons and hippogriffs and basilisks and all these crazy giant ones. So you basically have like a big snitch, a medium snitch, and a small snitch. And I'm going to say the players can just, you just go where you think your team needs help. You go and you see your dude, he turns into a worm. You're like, ah, shit, we're going to need some help in the small battlefield. Let's see if we get a better animal. You know, your ter- guy turns into a dragon. It's like, ah, oh, he, he can go solo that top thing. Are they still on brooms? Or are they, like, are they still flying? I was think I was debating about that. And I think the answer is yes. So it'll depend on your animal, of course. Not every animal is going to be quite coordinated enough to be on a broomstick. But I worm think- Worm on a broom. <laughs> <laughs> worm on a tiny broom. You just have, like, those little, like, uh coffee stirring like the little plastic <laughs> coffee stoppers that look like brooms will be those and yeah if your animal can ride a broom having a broom is still fair game it, it really adds a new type of athleticism now that i think about it because how coordinated are you as a frog are, are you a good frog are you good as an eagle like where where are you naturally more athletically gifted and now you got like some stats going on because pros will have like their specialty animals it's like oh man victor crumb turned into a griffin again so we're fucked because he's just really good as a griffin. <laughs> if he had turned in, if he had turned into a toad, he's really not good at those. So you know he he would have trouble. And then so you have like the pros with their stats, like for the animals, like you can change up the pool of creatures between seasons to keep it fresh year after year. And you'll have like multiple exciting things to watch simultaneously because now like excitement will be happening on three fronts. It's going to be like the NFL red zone, but like with just one wizard game. And the scoring will make sense. You can actually just like have some game tension with, you know, a simple two out of three. You don't need to have 150 bonus points special to 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 make your game work. Because it doesn't, doesn't make it work. And that, my friends, is my plan for improving Quidditch. I like it. I mean, it's it's not a bad plan. Way more magical. Exactly. You just, it's wizards. Just do, you literally could do anything. Anyway. <laughs> ben, uh, what, what did you cover? Are you as angry about it as I am? <laughs> So I came into mine quite angry and became less angry as I learned more through the power of knowledge. I looked at Pokemon Battles. So for those of you who don't know what Pokemon Battles are, which I feel like, not going to lie, has to be a very, very small segment of the people who will be listening to this podcast. Pokemon was a video game from, I guess, the 90s? Was the first one in the 90s? 90s to say. 90s to say, yeah. Game Boy Age, where you you collect these cute slash sometimes scary monsters that have all these cool abilities they do and basically dogfight them. I, you know, that's pretty much what it comes down to. You, you raise them and you fight them and that's kind of kind of what you do. But they have cool abilities. They have really cool abilities. Sometimes sometimes they're an actual dragon. Sometimes they're a 12-pound fuzzball that sings real good. Sometimes they're a weird burly muscle man with forearms it just it could be anything sometimes they're a lamp sometimes they're a lamp they got a little bit carried away and ran out of ideas as time went on my favorite actually of that is you know there's always you know like the legendary pokemon that at first were like these big you know god birds and stuff and then eventually have become like wolf holding shield or wolf holding sword <laughs> or the ghost that just enchants appliances where he's just like well i am now just in he- I am just a flying washing machine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, in in the games, the way the battles work is pretty simple. You have up to six Pokemon. You send them out one at a time. They beat on each other until one of them falls unconscious. And then the winner is the person whose team still has anyone on it who's not unconscious. The game calls it fainting, but I think that's either a mistranslation or trying to kind of break it gently to the kids playing it. They're unconscious at best. 
I mean, you bring them to the hospital and they get better, so it's not like they're dead. Well, not dead, but like they didn't faint. You don't faint from getting hit a bunch. That's not what fainting work is. <laughs> the other thing about the Pokemon battles is that obviously there is a whole like structure to this. And and the idea is there's the Pokemon League. And the, the way the League works is there are eight gems around. Each gem has a leader who is kind of like it's, you know, gem champion kind of. For some reason, each of those gems always has a particular type of Pokemon in it. So all the Pokemon there will be electric type or grass type or whatever, which goes against basically everything anyone tells you to do when making a team in Pokemon. But it's, you know, I guess these people have their kink or whatever. So they're all, yeah, they're all very eccentric. Like you guy, he has all the electric Pokemon and his personality is like, hey, I'm electric. Right, exactly. That's kind of how like, it goes. It's just all very on brand. It's all about branding, Ben. It really is about branding. <laughs> If you defeat that gym leader, you get a badge. If you get all eight badges, you get to fight the elite four, who are, like, the four super trainer-type people. And then eventually the current champion. If you beat all of them, you become the champion. Flaws inherent in this system. One, it's pretty easy to just, like, through the power of persistence, get eight badges. Well, for gifted young 10-year-old boys. <laughs> well, yeah, that's maybe the best best point in favor of that is that any random 10-year-old can do it. <laughs> it doesn't take, you know, a, a, a brain genius to figure out that if there's a gem full of plants, you find something that breathes fire and go to town, right? Like, it's not that complicated. And then once you have these eight badges, suddenly you're just, you know, stringing off five lucky ones in a row into being the champion of Pokemon, apparently. Which feels like maybe not the most rigorous system for determining this. And I was all ready to go into this whole, you know, different structure to do with this. You know, you could do all this and in a much more consistent way. And then I found out that apparently, so I knew, and you may also know, there was also a Pokemon anime. And in that, there is actually a pretty big change to this whole system. So, one, there are more than eight gems. It's just that in order to get to the next stage of competition, you have to collect eight badges. It could be from any of the eight gems. You have to go around go to eight of them, get the badges. And then you can go to the Pokemon League conference, which is basically what I was going to suggest, a large-scale tournament. Where you go there, it's kind of like the Olympics. There's very much a like Olympic torch analog where there's a big torch with a flame on it or whatever and everything. Um, there's this multi-day thing where there's you know qualifying tournaments where people get weeded out who aren't ready yet. And eventually you get down to like a top 16. And those people all fight in like a single elimination tournament. And then whoever wins that is the person who can go and attempt to challenge the Elite Four and become the champion. And this is obviously a way better system. You know, there's not this, you know, perpetual being a contender once you just kind of beat eight people randomly. But there still is a major problem overall in Pokemon battles, which is really just when you sit down and look at it, why are we only fighting? Like, Pokemon have all they have all these weird abilities and all we do is make them hit each other and they justify it in the game by saying Pokemon fight on their own that's like a thing they do and like they enjoy it apparently which I always thought was a kind of weird thing <laughs> dog fighting's fine dogs eat other animals in the right. wild the dogs love it but it always felt very you know constrained to me that if all you're going to do is fight of course you're going to ignore the weird like large mouse versus the literal dragon right so my solution to really make this whole system just just sing a little bit more is move outside of just fighting what i propose is basically a 
you know, for each of these conferences, we'll keep this sort of conference system because I think that does actually work pretty well. I think at the start of it, you do basically, or maybe slightly before, so you have a little bit of time to, you know, do some last minute training. You do basically a randomized decathlon where, yes, there will be fighting in there probably with different types. You'll have like sumo and just the traditional Pokemon battles, of course, and all that in there. But also, like, I want to see uh, Machamp, the four-armed wrestler slash bodybuilder, I want to see him, like, knitting real good. Like, I think he could do that. He has four arms, right? Like, that'd be fun. Knitting in a decathlon. <laughs> yeah. Like, I there, there are so many there are so many things these Pokemon can do that I want to give some of the more, let's say, unique ones a chance to shine. The ones that maybe can't survive getting punched by a forearm bodybuilder. <laughs> I think that's really my main my main takeaway is that I feel like we are putting these Pokemon in a box. They don't belong to be in where all they can be is a fighter. And whereas I think that they have many other skills we can showcase instead. Why isn't there like a, a Pokemon Olympics game? There should be. There really should be. I'm going to make a semantic point for some of our pokey fans out there who are very familiar with the games myself included in some of the games they have introduced non-fighting pokemon competitions that is true there's like a like a there's a beauty contest one and i think there is actually one area that has like two or three olympic type sports like racing i think is one of them it's probably like racing weightlifting and something that's not strength speed based chess or some shit who knows yeah yeah archery or some some yeah. some you know finesse type nonsense but also to your point ben is that nobody ever cared about any of these things right <laughs> because all that matters is the fighting all that matters. we need to we need to you know rework our award system here let these other things shine we need knitting we need knitting i just really like the idea of machamp knitting i just wanted to bring that up i think it'll be very <laughs> funny because like ideally because what you would do you still like for a team of six right but you wouldn't know what they'd be doing until you got there. So you have to have like a balanced team that could do any of these things. You got to have a Pokemon that has arms. Right. At least that's one kind Pokemon of, and that he has ha- He has four of them. Yeah. Why do we not have more shows that are just have get a group of individuals <laughs> that you think are generally talented and we're just going to have you do some sorts of comp? I mean, I guess it's just random competitions, but like a very specifically like you build a professional team of people who are good at stuff we like are right. basically just describing the olympics <laughs> well but you don't know what the events right are. exactly it'll be like yeah, if okay, you have to show yeah. up with just six athletes yeah. yeah i guess unrelated to our actual question but speaking of the olympics and just athletes i saw a suggestion once where we should do the olympics where each country only gets to send one person who does all the events well now you just ruined our how would you improve the olympics episode i did that's just the answer just <laughs> it lasts for like how many events are in the olympics like oh man too many (laughs) how many events are in the olympics i mean it it gets inflated because there's like 40 swimming events and you probably cut back on some of those but i don't think this is right because it says (laughs) it says the 2020 summer olympics include 33 sports the 2022 winter olympics will include seven sports i don't think either of those are true no that's not (laughs) okay how could it possibly be 33 sports a total, okay, a total of 33 sports and 339 events. That that could be right. Seven for the Winter Olympics feels very low. <laughs> is, is it just like downhill? Hold on, wait. Ice related? Hold on, is it, is it literally just like, okay, there's, so skiing. This this can't be, hold on. Skiing, skating, 
Well, because there's figure skating and speed skating. Those yeah, are, like, I don't know different what they count sports. as a sport slash Curling, event. hockey. God, what sports were the Winter Olympics, huh? Luge? Luge still, or, yeah. Yeah, according, I'm on, I'm on the Olympic, I'm on Olympics.com, and Winter Olympic Sports does have more than seven, but it's, like, 14. It's alpine skiing, biathlon, bobsleigh, cross-country, curling, figure skating, freestyle skiing, ice hockey, luge, Nordic combined, short track, speed skating, skeleton, ski jumping, snowboard, and speed skating. Speed skating has two. Hmm. There's more than this. There has to be more than that. Is there only this many sports and we just feel like there's a billion? <laughs> I don't know. All right. Anyway, long story short, we need to make Pokemon knit. <laughs> Chris, what did you do? <laughs> so for my fictional sport, I chose pod racing from Star Wars, uh, specifically episode one of Star Wars. I think episode one's the only one that shows up in. It, that sounds right. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah, I think it's just episode one. But it does exist throughout like all the timeline of Star Wars, obviously. So how do you make pod racing better? Pod racing is basically just super fast racing. And my impulse to make racing better is just to make it faster and more dangerous. But pod racing is already like very, very, very fast and also very, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it's deadly kind, of, even it's sometimes. kind of capped out at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that like if the question was how would I improve NASCAR, it would just be to make it pod racing. Pod racing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm already at a good spot with pod racing, I think. I don't all really right, cool. think I That'll need do it. to... <laughs> yeah, I don't need to change pod racing at all. So instead, I want to try to improve the spectator experience of pod racing. Because right now, in episode one, it shows bleachers, just like really big bleachers with a bunch of people at the starting line. And that's basically it. So the majority of the race takes place away from the bleachers, and then the the spectators only see the racers when they start the race, when they finish a lap, and then when they finish the the race. And I watched watched a bunch of clips. As far as I could tell, in the movie, there aren't any like TV screens or like there's no jumbo screen or anything. So when the racers aren't near the bleachers, they're kind of just sitting there doing nothing. So I wanted to figure out like how long does the audience actually see the racers during the the race? Because pod racers are really really fast so they probably don't see them for that long so according to the star wars fandom page the pod racers top speed is around 900 kilometers per hour or 560 miles per hour and on a clear day on earth with no obstructions based on the curvature of the earth we can see an object 2.7 miles away from where we are before it dips below the horizon now Pod racing takes place in the movie. It takes place on a bunch of different planets. But in the movie, we see it take place on Tatooine. And Tatooine is actually smaller than Earth. Earth is 7,900 miles in diameter. And Tatooine is 6,500 miles in diameter. So being slightly smaller means that it has a higher curvature, which means that we can see a shorter distance before it dips below the horizon. It's only slightly shorter, so... On Tatooine, we can see 2.5 miles away, assuming there are no obstructions. So that means that from the bleachers, we'd be able to see a total of 5 miles as the pod racers are approaching us and leaving us. So that's a total of 32 seconds. That's assuming that there are no obstructions, but there are obstructions. In pod racing, obstacles are a very big part of it. Big chunks of the race take place between rock formations. They're going through canyons and stuff. 
And that's what makes it more interesting. It'd be boring if there were no obstacles. So I just pulled a random number. I'm going to say that for like a one mile stretch at the bleachers, there's no obstacles. That's when they're crossing the finish line. And then the rest of it has obstacles. So you can always see them for that one mile. And based on that, the audience really only sees the racers for six seconds as they pass by. Now, in the movie, the race lasts seven minutes and it goes for two laps. So what happens for the spectators is they see the racers for three seconds when it starts. Then they just sit there for three and a half minutes doing nothing. Then they see the racers come back for six seconds. Then they sit for another three and a half minutes and do nothing. And then they see the last three seconds. So they really only see 3% of the race. Ben, remind me, is this a better or worse action to viewing ratio than football? Uh, it's similar. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly worse. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forget the, I forget the, the number, but the the amount of actual game time in a football game compared to like the length of the event is like I'm pretty sure it was single digit percentage. But yeah, we've covered it before because you answered how would you improve football, right? Yeah, yeah, but I'm not counting on people listening to this episode having heard whatever episode we happen to mention that. Yeah, in. that I don't was, remember. It was like in the twenties or something. <laughs> Sounds like that. Um, yeah, so they only see three percent of the race, and it's really the least interesting part of the race because there are no obstacles; they're just going straight. So how can we make this more interesting for the spectators? My instinct is to make the bleachers move with the with the uh, pod racers so that you can like see the the action more. So I looked at like moving transport vehicles because I wanted to use an existing Star Wars vehicle, like one that actually exists. I didn't want to just like make up a thing. So I found a transport vehicle. It's called the K seventy nine S eighty Imperial Troop Transport. It's a ground vehicle that's used to transport tr- stormtroopers. And it has like three slots on either side on the exterior of the vehicle where like people can stand. So I feel I f- felt like this is perfect for people that are trying to watch this race. They can go into these slots and then uh, you get just get a whole bunch of these vehicles and they're on the racetrack with the pod racers. They're in the action. It's a lot more exciting. The one problem is that these vehicles, they only go 93 miles per hour uh, compared to the pod racers, which go 560 miles per hour. So it's not nearly fast enough. So we need to solve that somehow. So the 2.5 mile distance, like max distance before it goes down uh, below the horizon was based on if your eyes are five feet above the ground. But that distance gets higher as you go higher up into the sky. So... Obviously, if you're higher up, then you can see further. So I figured, why don't we do this? Why don't we just, we're in Star Wars. We have ships that can fly. Obviously, we can do this. And and it allows you to like see into the canyons and rock formations. It just makes the whole experience a lot better. So the Imperial Troop Transport is a ground vehicle, so that it can't actually fly. But there is something called a low-altitude assault transport carrier, a.k.a. a tank lifter. Um, it's designed for, I think it was originally designed to carry an ATTE, which is like a different version of the the walkers, kind of. But it can also carry our vehicle. It specifically said it could carry our vehicle as well. So these vehicles can go 385 miles per hour. Still not as fast as a pod racer, but since it can fly, it doesn't need to be because we can see further. So it'll just stay above the track and you can get a whole view of the track from above and you just get a whole bunch of them now even though these are transport vehicles they also are gunships 
too. So they have guns. So we might as well use the guns, right? Because <laughs> they're there. <laughs> you don't want to waste the guns. Why would you do that? So the Imperial Troop Transfer has two laser guns on the front and a laser turret on the back. And then the Tank Lifter has four laser cannons and four rockets. So basically just the audience, the spectators, they maybe if they pay extra, get VIP tickets, then they get to shoot these at the racers down below. <laughs> and it'll, it'll add some obstacles for them. <laughs> adding some obstacles is a really tame way of saying i'm giving the audience guns yeah. and rockets well i mean i'm trying to make it more fun for them <laughs> and then i figured since we're already using ships that were used by the galactic empire like these are empire ships that were used to transport stormtroopers we might as well just put stormtroopers in them instead of normal people We'll just use pod racing as target practice for the stormtroopers because they need the training. They can't hit <laughs> anything. <laughs> and that's the purpose of pod racing now. It's just target practice for stormtroopers. And let's be honest, the racers are probably going to be fine. It's probably just an added obstacle and they'll probably finish the race and it'll just be more exciting. I mean, that, 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 that might just already be the case. I think it's canon because really early on in the in the first Star Wars movie... You know, Obi-Wan Kenobi was looking at the blaster marks. He's like, only only Imperial Trooper marks are this accurate. And maybe the Tatooine ones with the pod racing are just that much better than all the other Stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Maybe he was pleasantly surprised when he went to the Death Star. He's like, wow, these guys can't shoot for shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried for nothing. Yep. All right. And with that, that'll bring us to our Would You Rather portion of the episode. Ben, are you ready? Sure. Would you rather 5% of the population have telepathy or 5% of the population have telekinesis? You are not part of the 5% that has it. Ooh, okay. I don't know who has has which one. Yeah, do like is this a public thing or you I think you generally know some percentage of the population has one of these two abilities. Like, you know, you know that people exist with this, but you don't know who it is. There's no, like, public registry or, like, force people to know what it is. So my gut instinct is that I would rather people have telekinesis simply because if someone has telekinesis and uses it, it's much more obvious. Yeah, it's obvious that they're using it. There's a lot of privacy issues with the, with the um, telepathy. telepathy. Like, effectively, if 5% of people have telepathy, you have to act as though everyone has telepathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like if 5% had telepathy, then some laws would come up that, like, you have to declare that you have it or something. But how would you, how would you prove that someone has telepathy? I guess... Yeah, I guess you can't. What's my card? <laughs> guess my card. I'm just, I'm just seeing the, um, like, the replicant test in Blade Runner, but it's just, like, a guy with a playing card. Like, what suit is this? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, they could easily lie if they don't want Right, exactly, to. yeah. They could Assuming there's no, like, biological change. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, if you had someone with telepathy, you would know if they have telepathy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That That's is true. true, actually. See, I don't like this world. This world is scary and dystopian. <laughs> <laughs> you could hire someone that you know has telepathy to become the telepathy verifier i don't know i i feel like i would rather have the ability that is more obvious out in the world than the one that is entirely you know unverifiable i have i have the same gut reaction although i am thinking about telekinesis crimes 
go like, on. What? <laughs> like, home security like doesn't really work very well on someone with telekinesis. I mean, a camera does. Like, you could destroy the camera. I mean, you could do that now. Like, yeah, you could do that now. <laughs> like, how does this telep- How does this telekinesis work? Do you have to like see the thing? I think for the sake of this hypothetical, we're going to soup it up to like both pretty strong and pretty easy to use telekinesis. Okay. So like from a really far distance, you don't have to see it and you, you're pretty strong with it. You can uh, lift heavy things. Yeah. You're like kind of like, let's say you're kind of a tour de force, like, you know, like main character two thirds of the way through the movie powerful with your telekinesis. So now you have people that are like individually very destructive if they want it to be. See, I, I still think it's way easier to enforce telekinesis crimes than it is uh, telepathy crimes. Oh, yeah, enforcing it. Yeah, you, 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 can, you can arrest the telekinesis people. But also then you have to imprison them somewhere, somehow, which also would be difficult. Uh, we'd figure out a way. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a, I'm, confident in, I'm confident in our ability to incarcerate anybody, regardless of their powers. I mean, there's still just one person. Like, if you put enough guards on them, then they can't really do anything. Well, it's 5% of the people. I mean, they're all going to be criminals. Yeah. I guess, I, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm really trying to play devil's advocate. I'm really trying to find the thing. Like, tel- telepathy is a lot grosser and a lot more invasive of a power, I think, for other people to have. And I think that's kind of the easy one. But there, there could, I could see an argument for, like, destructive criminals abusing, like, their actual superpower. Like, telepathy is a superpower, but it's not really, like, a super superpower in that it's a lot easier to subdue somebody who has telepathy. Like, even if you know everything... You know, omniscience is not omnipotence. Like, you can know all the stuff that's going to happen to you and be able to not stop it because you're just a dude. Oh, I've determined that the SWAT team coming to my house is intending to arrest me. Is not going to stop you from getting arrested. Yeah, I think I think if the question was what power would I rather have myself, then I think I would choose telekinesis. Yeah, this one's specifically the opposite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... I think if you really got... You know what? I'm going to go with telekinesis. I think if you really get to the end of it, telepathy might be easier to deal with. Tele, tele, telepathic people might be easier to deal with than telekinetic people. And tele, tele, telepathic people could also do good. I mean, therapy becomes a lot more of a, you know, probably a lot more effective of an industry. I actually have one point, one place where telekinesis is bad. I, I do have one, which is that all of our existing spectator sports no longer work. <laughs> Pretty hard to sink a basketball when an opposing fan can just block it. <laughs> now the tape reviews are going to include physicists doing like back of the napkin calculations. Right. <laughs> oh, that ball hit the rim and bounced off at a 37 degree angle. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, and then you can't tell who, like, you can't pin down who actually did that. So I still think that overall, well, okay, stick with sports actually for just a second. It does mean that basically all pro athletes would be telekinetic, which would be pretty cool. However, <laughs> I think overall telepathy is still probably way worse to have in the world. Now I'm thinking of like telepathy, other games like chess and poker and stuff. <laughs> chess is kind of interesting, actually. I am I am thinking about um, <laughs> that. Maybe you remember uh, this was when we went to that fr- the to um, our friend's wedding in California. And we stayed at that Airbnb, and they had a bunch of random books on the shelf. And one of them was the strategy guide to rock, paper, scissors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I 
like I swear to Christ, this was a honest to God book about actually like trying to be someone writing a whole book about rock, paper, scissors strategy. And one of the chapters was about what to do if your opponent is actually telepathic. And it was like, okay, so then that way, if you're going to throw scissor, if you're going to, if you want to throw scissors, make sure you think paper so that they throw, you know, or you should think rock so they throw paper so that you beat them. But it, it did warn you, don't get into the habit too strongly because you might mess up your throws against non-telepathic people if you're too much into the thinking of the other one habit. But then they'll, they'll hear you thinking that you're thinking that and that you're going to throw something else. But then you're thinking, also thinking, thinking that you're not, you're going to think that to not think that, and you just, you just keep leveling up. But then they'll, and you, and they'll you keep, think that you think that you thought that. But you know, they're, but you're also telepathic, so you know they're thinking you think you oh, thought yeah, that. Oh, both, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe rock, paper, scissors becomes a real sport. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stick on my devil's advocate side. I'm going to say telekinesis. I, I think there's a shape of a problem worse than telepathy in there that's going to be Wait, you mean, it's going to ruin more things you mean you don't want people to have telekinesis or you do correct I, i'd rather they have telepathy okay maybe i just think the world could use some more honesty i'd rather they have telekinesis i would rather they have telekinesis as well all right well that does it for that if you have determined what the real telekinesis problem is and want to let us know Feel free to send us an email with that, or if you have any ideas for questions, we're more than happy to receive listener questions and try and incorporate them into the podcast. Best is direct via email. Send it to absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com. Other things you can do to help the show, leave us a review. Reviews are a great way to get people interested in the show or people who find the show. Always, I always check the reviews before I watch, listen to anything, and if there's not enough of them or if they stink, I tend to click away. So reviews are important. You can do that in your favorite podcast player wherever you're listening to this and of course you can't do better support than direct hard cash money dinero donations so if you got some sickles nuts and galleons lying around and you want to send them our way www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals click on that become a patron button you get access to our bonus content we release every month specifically for our patrons it's behind a singular dollar paywall one dollar of muggle money gets you right in there and unlocks everything for you. Plus tax, I think. I think plus tax. <laughs> plus tax? Oh man. Maybe, well, I think. <laughs> I just I just I just promoted it, Chris, and now <laughs> I'm learning that it's not a, such a good deal after all. I know. Uh it's still a good deal. The the tax, although sad, is not really changing the needle much. Anyhow, if you don't have that extra tax money to spare to us, uh you are more than welcome to join us next week for our regular scheduled episode where we answer the following question. What if people didn't need to do things? And by things, I mean like important things, like breathe or sleep or eat, drink, that kind of thing. It's a grab bag.